0: man that was so good this morning hey and I was thinking again just how amazing it is these songs that we sing you know the worship that we bring through these carols they're not they're not little nursery rhymes you know they're not just cute little songs they're amazing amazing songs of deep theology and just wonder and glory and I was thinking just as we're singing that that You know, if you're privileged enough to watch the sun rise this morning, it was just so beautiful. And 2,000 years ago, the sun rose upon a world where our Savior was born. Like, if that doesn't move you, if you have been kind of jaded by Christmas, you know, if it's become too commercialized or it's just too old to you, nothing kills Christmas more than working in retail. You know, you have the Christmas carols playing since the end of November or September. It's just brutal. But if you have become a little jaded towards Christmas, let it reawaken in your hearts. Because our Savior is born. And it is such a joy for us to be able to express that today. And today we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior who came to earth to save us, to, to rescue us from our sins. And we celebrate the simple act of a baby being born And yet it was by no means simple, normal, or trivial. Over the last three weeks, we've heard the Christmas story expressed with specific emphasis on hope, on peace, and joy. And now we're going to look at the amazing expression of love that the birth of this baby signifies. We're also going to look at how that love was expressed through the life of Jesus here on this earth, including his death and his resurrection. One of the most well-known scriptures, I would say, in the Bible would be John 3:16. And it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through but that the world through him might be saved. And it's such a wonderful verse because it expresses so well God's attitude towards us. And unlike this you know, rather common picture that we have of God being this angry old man in the sky who's just waiting to judge us for the wrong that we've done. You know, the God the judge, God the angry father. You know, we have these pictures in our head. We see instead the love of our savior towards his creation, of the creator towards his creation. Not the abstract love like a king or a ruler who loves his people primarily because they pay taxes and that, you know, that benefits him. But the love of a father who is willing to give all that he had in order to save and restore his children. Scripture says that in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, let us also, we also ought to love one another. Jesus came not only that we could experience the love of God, but he came also so that he could pay the price or the atonement or the propitiation, that's what that word means, for our sins. He came to pay the price that we could not. And unfortunately, many of us struggle to feel loved, especially the love of God. Many of us can struggle with that, often because of past hurt or heartbreak in our lives. Even having God compared to a loving father doesn't always hit home for everybody because of the relationship or the lack thereof that we've had with our own father. And sadly, we live in a world where this expression of love has been weakened, broken, and twisted. Love has been reduced to a feeling. There's no guarantee of permanence in love because it's based on how we feel at the time or how the other person feels about us. Falling out of love is an example of this. You're in love the moment. Next moment, you're not in love. And it's ended. And through this Advent series, a recurring theme has been that the world cannot truly know hope, peace, and joy without knowing the person of Jesus Christ. And it's the same with love. The love or the agape love, the unconditional love that God pours out on us, is not experienced through any human interaction. Even the love of a husband and a wife can be broken, trust betrayed, and love grown cold. Children and parents can fight and not talk to each other and have nothing but brokenness and hurt in that relationship. There is no perfect expression of love on this earth apart from the love that the Father above gives us. And Scripture makes it plain, and that's the wrong slide. I don't have that one. All right, Scripture says that this love is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5 it says the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. By the Holy Spirit who is given to us. This love that God pours out on us is the only love that is truly unconditional, eternal, and unchanging. And the scripture makes it clear that nothing can separate us from that love. Neither height nor depth, principalities or powers. I'm sorry, I'm reading it all over the place. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present. There's a lot happening in the present. Nor things to come, we don't need to be afraid of the future. Not our height nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Yeah, I'll say amen to that one too. That is amazing. And this love that God has for us is not a new thing. God didn't just suddenly decide after thousands of years of human existence that these people he created were worth saving. His love for us is eternal. And we see this expressed in the book of Jeremiah. Where he says, the Lord has appeared to me of old, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. Now, this statement was spoken to Israel, but it is, it, the love it describes is an expression of God's love for every believer. Now, for those of us who are parents, I think you'll find this a little easier to understand, a little easier to grasp. We begin to love our children the moment we find out they exist. As soon as the doctor says that there's life growing in that womb, we begin to love this child that we haven't even seen yet, or haven't even met. And once the child is born, you love them because they're precious, you love them because they're beautiful, you love them because they're yours. And usually, you can see yourself in them, you're like, oh yeah, they do that, just like me. I can see myself in my children, especially my sons, it's kind of shocking to be honest. <laughs> As your child grows, you continue to love them. It's often challenging because there's conflict. And they don't always do what you want them to do. But your love doesn't change. You still love them because they're yours. And this is how God loves us. Imagine God now who knew you from before you were born. Imagine God who formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb. Imagine God who said to Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. A God for whom for all eternity, has known who you are, has known who you would become, and the person that you could be. I love this quote from F.B. Meyer. He says, You must go back beyond your birth, beyond Calvary, beyond Bethlehem, beyond the fall of man, and the Garden of Eden. And as you stand looking out into the immensity of eternity, dare to believe that you are loved and chosen in Christ, the object of God's most tender solicitude and pity. Solicitude just means compassion, in case you're wondering. It's an old word. And God's plan for us started many thousands of years ago, back in the garden. The Bible tells us that after God created the heavens and the earth, the plants and and the animals and finally humans, that he looked at it and he saw that it was very good. Even the way that God created man, he said, Let us create man in our image and our likeness. He put his stamp on us. And he looks at us and sees himself reflected in us. It speaks of the love that God had for these people that he was was about to create. And we have been made in his image and made to be like him. However, shortly after man and woman entered the world, sin followed. This is the portion of the story that we all know so well. The serpent convinced Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, and she shared it with her husband. And the Bible later says that through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, However, when God was pronouncing judgment on Adam and Eve and the serpent, he said something very interesting to the serpent that shows us that even back then, even at the very beginning of things, God had a plan for redemption. And he said, I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, speaking of Jesus. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We can see that back then, God had a plan to deal with the serpent, the enemy, as well as the sin that entered the world through this whole exchange. This is the first time in history that God himself proclaimed the gospel, the good news, the message of a savior that would redeem humanity. And I'm so, even thinking about it now, just amazed that even in that moment where everything has, in a sense, gone sideways, and then the earth entered into this period of of just being ruined and broken, God already had a plan in place. And it wasn't like he had to come up with this on the fly. God wasn't like, oh my goodness, now nothing's working and I have to come up with a plan B. From the very beginning, he had this ready to redeem us to himself. I mean, why did God do this? Why did he put a plan in place to redeem people? Why not just wipe them out and start over? Get rid of the tree, get rid of the serpent, and just do it again. Understand that God knew from before the foundation of the earth that giving man the right to choose, the ability to make our own decisions would result in the fall of mankind from grace and from his presence. This is why the scripture says in Revelation, when it speaks of Jesus, he calls him the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. At the very beginning, this was God's plan, and he was ready for it. The scripture goes on to say that all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, as Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Because of this turning away, something that happened so early in our lives, we all know what the terrible twos are like, right? When children discover the word no and use it endlessly, it's what's born into us. We are born into that. And God knew this. Because of Adam, sin entered the human race, and it became who we were at birth just as we were born into the race that we are. And as sinners, we choose our own way, and as sinners, we choose to sin. It's kind of a weird thing to understand. It's not, we're not sinners because we sin, only we're sinners because we're born sinners. And as such, we choose to sin. We choose our own way. We choose rebellion. We choose to do whatever is the opposite of what God has told us to do. And yet, God still loved us. The Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we loved him. He didn't wait until we earned it. He didn't wait until we deserved it. He knew that we, as sinners, had no path to redemption on our own. And Jesus came and paid that price for us. And we see this plan woven throughout history, which is why there are so many prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of the coming of Jesus and the work that he would do to redeem humanity back to God and to fix the problem of sin in our lives. God's plan in Jesus was to reconcile mankind to himself, to restore the relationship that was broken through sin and bring us back into eternal relationship with himself. Ever since the birth of this baby over 2,000 years ago, we live in a time of Emmanuel, God with us. First with the physical presence of Jesus walking this earth and then with the arrival of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who guides us and who leads us and who comforts us, and through whom we experience the agape love of God. Jesus coming to earth was an expression of the Father's love for us. He didn't send a general. He didn't send a judge. He sent his son. He has provided the only way possible to eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ who came and poured his life out for us. It is only by putting our trust in him and by repenting and changing our minds about the way that we're currently living that we can enter into his salvation. Jesus came to take on himself the penalty of sin and also to remove the power of sin and finally to take away the presence of sin in our lives. Simply put, God loved you from before you were born and yet each of us has turned our back on him and chosen our own way. The scripture makes it plain that there is none righteous, not even one. Each of us is deserving of God's judgment. But Jesus came to earth to take your place. To live the life that you could not and to pay the price that we would have had to pay his life. Because of his sacrifice, the way way is made open for us to return to the God who created us. And as the loving, patient father in the parable of the prodigal son, he waits for you to turn to him. He longs to welcome you back again. The world needs a lot of things, but chief among these is love. And as we end this message, I want you to think about the coming of our Lord and the light that shone in great darkness. Jesus said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And he also goes on to say that you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. If the light of Jesus has shone in your heart, you are his follower, his child, and then you are the light of the world, and your light needs to shine clearly for everyone to see. How does this happen? The scripture says that they will know we are Christians by our love, And Jesus said, this new commandment I leave with you, that you love one another. As we walk in the light, as we walk in his love for each other, we radiate that light and extend his love beyond ourselves. As we follow Jesus, he pours his love in us through his Holy Spirit, and we become vessels of his love, reaching out to the world around us. I want you to go ahead and take your candles out now. The lighter. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead now and light the final candle of Advent. As we light this final candle of Advent, we remember that the light of our Savior broke into the darkness over 2,000 years ago. Now you might look at this little candle and think, that's hardly a great light. And you'd be right. In fact, I imagine the Jews thought something very similar when Jesus was born. A baby born in a manger in some little town called Bethlehem? Hardly an event worth noticing. Such humble beginnings. Such a light is so tiny it can hardly be seen. But what did that light do? Not only did it grow, but it spread. Each person that that light touched, each person who received that light, began to radiate it themselves. We know this light is the light of life. And this light now lives in each of our hearts. And in turn, we share this light turn we share this light with the world around us by the way we treat each other and by the way we love our neighbors and Jesus made it clear the whole world is our neighbors the light that is inside you may seem small but as we shine this light we see that this light spreads and in the end is much bigger than ourselves you can see this if you look around now and see all the lights that are lit how beautiful it is each of us with the light that we carry share and and proclaim and broadcast the love and the light of Jesus throughout the entire world. This Christmas, if you know that this light is not shining inside your heart and you know that you need to do business with God, I urge you to do so. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd be more than happy to. But you can pray right now. Ask God to forgive you for turning away from him. In other words, repent and turn back to him. The scripture says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you might say, you have no idea what my life has been like. God will not take me the way I am. Jesus makes it clear. Anyone who comes to him, he will not turn away. Let's stand together now as we worship together and sing this last song.